Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Welcome back to the Growth Island podcast. This, I have a feeling, is going to be one of my favorite podcasts. It's a subject that most of us potentially don't talk that much about, but are extremely curious about and want to learn more about. So today I got Dr. Laura Berman on. She's one of the leading experts in the world on sex. Yes, you have it right. Sex. Something that most of us are interested in and also relationships because relationships are part of sex. She is a New York Times bestselling author of many books. Her latest book is Quantum Love, where I can tell you when you look into it, it looks extremely interesting. So I've been chasing Laura for many months uh, to get her on the podcast and uh, it finally succeeded. I'm really happy about that. She's also an award-winning uh, radio host. She has her own podcast called The Language of Love. So a really good place to go deeper than we're going to do today. She's a popular television personality. She's been on a ton of shows from the Oprah Winfield to Dr. Oz, to Today, to Good Morning America, many others. She also contributes to a lot of the big magazines. She's married and she has three uh, sons and two dogs. And she also has two masters, a PhD from New York University. And I think I could do a full podcast on some of all these experiences. I went to look at all some of the appearances on different places. And it was like, I could just get lost for days learning about relationships and so on. So Laura, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad we finally made it happen. Yes. Laura, <laughs> how did you end up working with sex and love? There's lots of ways I could probably answer that. I don't have a really specific answer, although I do get asked that a lot. I think part of it is that I was my parents' therapist, basically, from the time I was born. <laughs> And I was, I'm a recovering codependent, so I was definitely felt responsible for everyone else's emotions. And I think that's what originally drove me to couples therapy. And then from there, uh, I also was lucky to grow up in a family where sex was just normal and talked about and not taboo. So it was something I was comfortable with. And when I started doing my training to become a couples therapist, I was sort of shocked that there was no training and no discussion and no availability of training within my program around sex therapy, which seems ridiculous, doesn't it? That you're going to learn to be a couples therapist and not have any training around sex therapy. But that's how it was. So I decided to go on and get more training. And that's how that subspecialty started. Fantastic. So I really want to get into what can we actually do to have better sex and also how you're talking about more connected sex. But why is it that sex is so taboo? It's one of the, I've wondered many times, like, why is it that women's period and mm -hmm. sex are taboo? And poop. Because all are like, some <laughs> of the most. Sex and periods. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so natural, right? Three yeah. of my favorite topics to talk about. <laughs> but, but why is sex? I don't know. Yeah. Like, I feel it myself. Like, it's not like when you strike up that conversation, it seems like something very intimate. There's probably the, Religion plays in as well. Yes, definitely. Religion is what screwed everything up with, well, probably lots of things up, but definitely with regard to sex. And I don't think we weren't always obviously this way, but once organized religion started and certainly the puritanical times in, in America, but just across the world, that is when repression started and a lot of judgment started and a lot of taboo started and a lot of control started around sexuality. And then it's just been passed down. We know that even on a cellular level, these kind, kind of emotional orientations are genetically passed down. But as or more importantly, from a nurture, not just a nature perspective, most of us, unlike me, were raised in families where it wasn't talked about and your questions weren't answered or you got in trouble or you got the message from a very early age overtly and covertly that this is not something you talk about. This is not something to be comfortable with. And it just perpetuates from there. Yeah. 
So what can we do to take the sex to the next level? Boy, there's lots you can do. I think it's an interesting question because if we're talking about in a long-term relationship, taking it to the next level, I get people often ask me, how do you spice it up? How do you keep things interesting? And I could give you 365 amazing role plays, toys, techniques, things to try, right? And then in another year, year and a half, you'd come back to me saying, okay, been there, done that. They've lost their novelty. Now give me more to create. And what we're really looking for, especially in long-term relationships, is we're sort of trying to get back to what scientists call the infatuation stage where you are in a new relationship, the dopamine centers of your brain, those addiction centers of your brain, we now know are lighting up like crazy when you're newly in love. And that's a huge part of desire and excitement. You're discovering each other. You can't get enough of each other. But then as you get to know each other, get stable, get committed, get predictable, then some of that obvious novelty, you can't sustain that indefinitely Society wouldn't function if we walked around in the infatuation all the time. So we move into what's called the attachment phase. And that's when people often start to feel a loss. And part of that is from the media that we expect that we're supposed to be swinging from the chandeliers when we're in love with someone. And obviously life and kids and work and stuff and taking our hands off the wheel and not, you know, getting lazy in our relationships, all those things make a big difference to your emotional connection. And if you can feed your emotional connection, it definitely feeds the sexual one. But I would say that the number one thing you can do to really achieve and maintain that excitement is to think of it more as intensity. That's what we're really looking for. You're not going to have novelty necessarily that's sustainable with someone you've known for 10 years and know very intimately. But you can create intensity. And a lot of that, and I have a chapter in Quantum Love where I really get into that uh, for the first time really extensively. And I'm probably going to write more about it, but I call it quantum sex, where you start working with the energy of your body and the sensations of arousal. You can pull them up through your body. You can create this kind of circle of energy between the two of you. And the intensity that's available to you when you do that is not only exciting and fulfilling, but it's extremely bonding. Got it. I had some on the podcast as well that talked about breathing together on the different ways of like eye contact and so on before you get mm-hmm. started to get more in sync again. Like if you've been in a, whether you're in a new relationship, but it's, you've been in a relationship for longer that you already have that trust and connection that building up. Is that some of the same things? That's one thing. I think what you're talking about is soul gazing and I and where you're sort of staring. I like to instruct people to focus on the eye above the heart. So you're part from where you're sitting across from your partner, their right eye and synchronize your breathing and even put your hand over their heart. And what we now know, and this, you know, is from quantum love as well. We now know from quantum physics and tons of experiments that are being done that when you're in a bonded relationship, you really are energetically synced up. And when you can accentuate that with an exercise like we're talking about here, a simple thing to do as you're moving as part of foreplay or even in the middle of sex, it really entrains the two of you and it moves you into the same frequency. And and it also gets you really present in your bodies and really present with each other energetically and even intellectually, which definitely sets the stage for a beautiful experience. But then there are other techniques once, yes, using your breath, visualization and muscles, Kegel muscles, you can pull, which are those muscles that men have too, that you use to stop the flow of urine. It's the same muscles like midstream if you were to stop it. So using those muscles and breath and and focus, you can actually, I always encourage people to practice on their own first because there's less distractions, but you can sort of pull that since say you, most of us, the sexual sensation is localized to the genital area, but you can actually pull those sensations up first to the belly and just practice that then to the heart. You can actually have seven chakra orgasms, which is a lot of fun. Sounds like it. I interviewed John Gray as well, a man of Mars and we were from Venus. Mm-hmm. He talked about uh, tantric sex, a very similar mm-hmm. as well of Nick and and said that men was only allowed to ejaculate once a week and then they could have sex many times a week, but not release the full energy. 
Yeah, that can be tough to learn. What he's talking about is retrograde ejaculation, basically where it doesn't come out, but you pull it back in and it goes up into the bladder and then you don't have what they call what the scientists say is a refractory period where men have a period, at least if you're over 18, where you're you don't have an erection before you get one again. Tantra is part of it. It's Kundalini. It's Tantra. It's Kama Sutra. A lot of those ancient techniques operationalized where you're not going to necessarily everyone can't get into a pretzel like you see in those Kama Sutra books. Right. But we can definitely work with the energy and it's real where attention goes. Energy flows. Fantastic. So what's, I want to get deeper into like, how do we get this deep enough? But I know some of my listeners, listeners are going to be like, I heard you had more than 200 ways of spicing things up. So can we do three quick ones and then get the further into the meat of not just the instant gratification? Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many things you can do. You can, and I, I've written nine books and several of them are specifically about these practical things, right? Like I have one called Loving Sex, which has all sorts of positions and fantasies you can try. One of my favorite recommendations for couples who kind of want to spice it up is to create a fantasy box where each of you write. It's a great conversation because each of you write down all the fantasies you'd want to act out together. So you're not talking about the fantasies about, you know, the guy in the cubicle next to you or whatever, but ones that you'd like to really act out with your partner, whether it's a role play or a scene or outfits or toys or whatever. And then you put them all in a box or in a baggie or whatever. And once a month, you don't have to do it every week or every day, just pick one out. And whoever's fantasy it was, they take the lead and making that happen. I'm a big fan of playing with uh, toys. There's so many options out there. One of my favorite, I have a line of sexual aids and devices and one of the most popular is sort of these vibrating remote controlled panties. That's a lot of fun to create some excitement and play. You go out to a restaurant or to a party and she wears the underwear and her partner has the controls and can zap her whenever they want. Definitely, there there are certain positions that accentuate arousal. Only 30% of women can have orgasms through intercourse. And that's usually because they have direct clitoral stimulation. So there's lots of positions that people often experiment and discover on their own, but lots of people don't. Depends how comfortable you are with experimenting. But they find there are great positions for promoting female orgasm along, obviously, with lots of foreplay. Now I don't mean going to be sitting like, what do I have to do so I feel I am performing and I'm giving you that orgasm? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is to really understand that because for guys, that's usually how, I mean, unless they're self-stimulating, they're going to have an orgasm during intercourse almost always, assuming they have healthy sexual function. Women do not. Even if they are very orgasmic, they don't have orgasms every time. And the irony, the one way to guarantee you're not going to have an orgasm is to obsess about having an orgasm because that gets you out of the moment, that gets you under pressure. And that's why a lot of women fake because he's, you know, I call it the mercy fake because he's trying so hard and he's so focused on it and not, it's not going to, uh, I know it's not going to happen, but you know, I feel bad. So here you go. And then that creates obviously a withhold in the relationship and lots, it starts to build and resentments on her part. And then how does she tell him she's been faking? So I'm not really a big fan at all of faking, but the key really to help women orgasm is to create space for her to communicate and say, sometimes it's not going to happen. Right. And to let that be okay, because I've done national research around at least America, on what the most sexually satisfied women have in common. And it's not the number of orgasms or even the quality of the orgasms they have. It's the closeness and connection they feel with the person they're having sex with. And it's not to say, I mean, obviously, you want to be a generous lover. Orgasm is a worthy goal, but it doesn't have to be the end-all, be-all. So I think that's an important foundation. And then it's about a lot of foreplay and a lot of indirect and direct clitoral stimulation and maybe even getting her to orgasm that way, which is how most women orgasm is through manual or oral stimulation when they're with a partner. And then you move into intercourse 
And any orgasm she has after that is icing on the cake because there is with intercourse, there's a gap. I mean, most men take seven and a half minutes is the average for reaching orgasm. And most women take 20 if they are orgasmic. So there's just going just from the start, there's a gap there that needs to be filled. So I'm curious how that uh, study was done. Because if it's so um, important, we know. And no, there was a timer. <laughs> there was a timer and couples timed themselves because it was part of a clinical trial on some sort of erectile dysfunction or thing drug for men. And that's how that and they came to that data as part of their larger research. But I found it really fascinating. And then during intercourse, there one of my favorites to recommend that I talk about in Loving Sex is called uh, the cat, the coital alignment technique. <laughs> and it's actually, we're talking about heterosexual sex, obviously yeah. here. It's, it's a variation on the missionary position, which in and of itself, as we're talking about taboos and the history of our restrictions around sex, I mean, missionary position, right? And what's that about? The missionaries basically said, this is the only right way that you're allowed to have sex, man on top. I mean, I still don't understand where the term missionary position came from. But it's the man on top and the woman on the bottom. And I'm going to get into specifics here. But once he's in, right, he lifts up and forward so that his pubic bone is pressing against her clitoris. And then you rock. So you're not pounding like you see in porn. By the way, if you want a woman to orgasm, do not learn how to do that through porn. Okay, worst sex education there is about what pleases a woman. Just say, hey, you want to have sex? <laughs> yeah, and it's not guys, like, both. yeah, and I'm going to ejaculate on your shoulder and you're going to scream in ecstasy or in your face or whatever. So, yeah, no, it's not a good education. Unfortunately, a lot of men think that's because they see these women shrieking in ecstasy and they think, oh, well, that's all I have to do. Um, is strangle her and bring in two other guys and we're good. No, but it's, uh, it's, but in general, a lot of guys and also what stimulates them is sort of the in and out quickly. And for clitoral stimulation, you really need to rock and stay in there and you're rocking back and forth against your pubic bone against her clitoris. Got it. So now at least for the impatient, they're like, okay, I need something. <laughs> you have some key techniques. <laughs> we have key techniques that can be practiced. And one the, once those three have been practiced, then it's time to get into the book and get which of your books had the Loving sex. Yes. Loving sex. Sure, it's sure, really sure. a good one for couples. Yeah. I'll make sure to link to that as well in the show notes so people can find it. Good. So going into like more of the meat, as you talked about, like how to create that special bond and, uh, quantum love then looked into where you talk about what do we do in these relationships when we feel like some of the passion dies out what what con concrete things that people can do well if we're talking are we talking about technique or like sexual stuff or are we talking about the larger kind of connection between the two of you that feeds your sexual energy which oh, one both <laughs> <laughs> okay. let's get into all of it Okay, let's talk about the foundation first, sort of the, the context of your sexual relationship, especially if you're in a relationship with a woman. Like I was saying earlier, not only is our satisfaction deeply tied to the connection, and it doesn't mean you have to be madly in love with each other to feel that connection, but there's safety, there's emotional attunement, there's affection, there's a sense of connection emotionally right and the more of that she has the more that's why so few women reach orgasm at all during one night stands so the closer and the more connected and the safer and the more attuned she feels to you in the bedroom and out not only the better her sexual response in general but the more inspired to be sexual she will be i mean that's the i call it the sex romance stalemate in and heterosexual relationships, because what a lot of women don't know about men, heterosexual men, well, all men, but we're talking about women not understanding this, is that men achieve a sense of closeness and connection and emotional intimacy. They achieve that in long-term relationships in large part through the physical act of sex. That's the vehicle that feeds their sense of having that close connection. Women are 
achieve that sense of close connection through sharing, spending time together, cuddling, attending to each other emotionally. So when she's not sexually available to him, he feels less emotionally close to her. And then when he feels less emotionally close to her, he just automatically isn't as attuned or romantic or cuddly or anything else. And then she's that much less inspired to be sexual with him and so on and so forth. So it's if you want a really good sexual connection with a woman, all other things being equal, obviously she has medical issues or hormonal issues or things that are affecting her libido. That's a different story, but I have a book for that too. (laughs) But if he's all other things being equal, if you want a really good, robust sex life with a woman, you've got to constantly invest in the emotional and romantic connection. I always say that guys are like sort of a microwave oven. They can go from zero to 60 really fast, but women are a slow burning stove that you got to stoke emotionally all, all week. And then when it's, you're able to have sex, she's much more present with you and connected to you and inspired to be sexual. So that's sort of, I mean, there's a lot We could talk for hours about things you can do to enhance your emotional and relationship connection. But one other thing I would say is that for most couples, especially if you have kids, you must, must, must embrace scheduling sex. And the media and the culture all around the world, doesn't matter what culture you're from, sort of promotes this movie, this Hollywood image of it's supposed to happen spontaneously or there's something wrong. But if you're waiting for it to happen spontaneously, especially if you have kids and you're in a long-term relationship, you're going to be waiting a long time. (laughs) And people often resist, (laughs) right? And people often resist scheduling like, oh, that feels so artificial and it should be spontaneous, but it's not happening spontaneously. And once you schedule it, and it doesn't have to be at exactly the same time every week, it can be different week to week. But if you at least know you have that one time together every single week, then lots of really cool things happen. First of all, you start to sort of look forward to it. The one that maybe is less available is prepared for it and ready to get into it. You're extra flirty with each other. You can, you're, there's a lot more openness, especially if there's been some tension around uneven desire. There's a lot more openness and connection around cuddling and handholding because there isn't that question of if I reach out and give him a kiss, is he going to think I'm trying to start something and then I have to reject him? So there's none of those unspoken conversations or guesswork happening. And it really opens things up, I find, in relationships where you're just, it's just not happening between the two of you. Um, Now, it's funny with relationships and sex in general that we have this idea that it's just all going to come natural. Everything else in our life, like we learn about, we read about. Yeah. We, like we learn about finances, we learn about calculating, like simple things. But like how many people have picked up a book and read about relationships? Like the yeah. most important thing in your life. And it's just supposed to come natural because it's... Not only is this, do we not read about it, but we model ourselves after our dysfunctional effed up families (laughs) what we saw growing up unconsciously usually i mean it's not like we're saying oh dad never spoke to mom when he was mad at her so now i'm not going to speak to it's not conscious but we without learning otherwise we default to what we know Hmm. and then the whole thing just yeah but it makes sense so uh couples with kids potentially also couples that don't have kids but that are working too much Mm -hmm. they don't have it schedule the time prioritize it and then it's easy. And put away, yeah, and put away the technology people. I mean, I have been doing this for a long time. And I would say in the beginning of my, I mean, it's at least 25 years. And in the beginning of my career, most of whom I saw who were struggling were older couples or couples who had been through lots of stress together or whatever. Now, over the, I would say over the past five to 10 years, I see so many young, healthy couples, often in their early 20s who just are sitting next to each other on their couch on their devices. And you and it obviously is true for everyone, not just younger people, but you really have to create those pockets of technology-free time together. Not necessarily even to have sex, but most couples don't talk about to each other. This was another piece of research that blew my mind. Most couples don't talk more than 15 minutes a week 
about things other than the logistics of their lives. They talk about the bills or the job or the repairs or the vacation or things that need, they don't actually heart to heart, soul to soul, hang out, talk more than 15 minutes a week, which is pretty astounding to me. But I totally can see that happening in today's world because you're just sitting next to each other, talking to people on social media. It's crazy how our phones have taken over so much of our life. I think phones and social media can be so empowering, so amazing, but the way it's being used by 99% of people is horrible. Yeah, like, I it, try it to can put really my, do a number. Yeah, I try to put my phone away as well. Often. Mm -hmm. It's not like visibly there, because there's a thing when you can see visually, you kind of get It's a tick, you just keep picking it up. We, I remember, especially when our kids were smaller, I mean, my husband and I are coming up on our 20th anniversary. God, I guess I've been doing this for almost 30 years. Keep losing track of time. But we, when the kids were younger, especially, and there was just not a lot of time where we could hang out awake together, <laughs> our rule was anytime we were together and the kids were not there or taken care of, our technology went away. And believe me, it was not very often, right? That you're, but we weren't gonna, if we had that pocket of 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour or five minutes, okay, phones automatically went away because otherwise you're not gonna ever find the time to connect unless you actually make it. Makes a lot of sense. You speak about the quantum north and like that we are pure energy and we're basically energy connecting. Yeah. Someone this, never heard about quantum before and they're like, saying, what? what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, I would, I was that way too. I mean, I've always been a real kind of left brain, practical scientist into the logistics of how you can repair things. And after going through my own dark night of the soul, or as I call it, whoppers of AFGEs, another freaking growth experience after another, I lost my mother, who I was extremely close to, and my kids were all melting down and I had cancer and I had to completely stop my life. And during that time, as I was helping try to find ways to heal them and to help them heal and also to heal myself, I discovered quantum physics, basically. And what we now have started to learn, I mean, it's really the science, and this was my science mind needing to understand this, it's the science of the law of attraction, right? Or manifesting, as people call it. But for me, it started as trying to help my kids, especially my oldest son, who at the time was in ninth grade and was suicidal and nothing was working, medication, therapy, all the things I would usually employ. And I, out of desperation, went to this medium psychic who is really amazing. And, she, and I'd never really done that since I was like in college. And she said, and, oh, your son, I was, went there about my son because I was sort of desperate and a friend had told me about her and she said, oh, he's clairsentient, which I never even heard that term before at the time. But basically, it's like an empath, right? But in, in his case and in many kids who are empaths, and there are many of us, I was one and am one too, you can, he was feeling what other people were feeling, but he wasn't able to separate their feelings from his. So, in fact, therapists were starting trying to diagnose him with a social learning disorder because the therapist would be smiling at him and say, now, what am I feeling? And he would say sad <laughs> because he was feeling her sadness. But and she thought, oh, something's wrong with this kid. But actually, she was really sad about something else that day. But that was after he started to really understand. Until then, he was a hot mess because he was feeling everybody else's crap and thinking it was his and trying to come up for re with reasons for it and taking on the weight of the world. And so this is what she said to me that changed my life. She said, go home. You have to be super, super sensitive to your emotional state when you are anywhere near him. And I was like, well, I'm always upbeat. She's no, you're upbeat, but you're anxious going into the room. You're wondering he's home from school. You're going in to see him. You're there's part of you that's prepping for conflict or problems or whatever. She, she showed me how to ground my energy, which I teach in quantum love. And I also have some meditations on my website that show you how to do this. But she's like, it's really important for him in particular that you ground your energy, that you really open your heart and that you're really in a feeling of peace and love when you present to him 
And she goes, and I want you to give him this grounding hug where you hug him. And remember, my kid's in ninth grade, so he doesn't even want to be hugged, right? And send love from your heart into his. So I went home and I saw him that afternoon and I said, okay, I know you're going to just tell me I'm crazy because he, this was not something that he would normally be open to. And I said, but this is what this woman said to me. And I explained it to him. And he said, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I think what you're saying is true. And I said, okay, well, let me try this. That I, you know, she said to give you this hug. And I gave him and he let me, which I couldn't believe. And he ga- I gave him this hug and he completely melted. I could feel it. And to this day, I still, he loves those grounding hugs and I've used them millions and millions of times with him and others. But then I shut up about it because I couldn't be too invested in anything. And about a week later, he came to me, he said, I was in school today and I was in a good mood. And then I was at my locker and all of a sudden I got really depressed and really feeling horrible. And I looked up and there was a girl a few lockers down and I realized, oh, she's probably feeling horrible. And he finally got it. And that changed the whole trajectory of his life. And I was ama- I was like, what the hell is this? And I started experimenting with my internal states when I was around him without saying anything and watching how he responded. And then I started playing with it with my husband, which was really wild. And I was like, holy crap, this is like a Jedi mind trick for your relationship. Everybody's just going to show up exactly as I in the frequency and the energy, because we're all vibrating atoms. This is what quantum physics teaches us. And we know now that we're not solid. We seem solid and everything around us seems solid. And we seem separate from each other. But on an atomic level, we're just vibrating atoms. That's what we are. And we hold, and our bodies hold, the vibrations hold a frequency like those old fashioned radio dials. You have the station and the volume, right? And so we're constantly shifting frequencies that is we now know is in large part set by our unconscious and often conscious emotional states. But not only do are we constantly changing, shifting depending on what's going on internally our and our vibration, but we're like human tuning forks. And you strike one tuning fork, the other tuning fork immediately matches it without striking it. That's what we humans do. So we're all constantly matching each other's vibrations. And people that are on the more codependent or people-pleasing side are always matching everyone else, right? And this was me as well at the time. And so once I learned to really hold my own energy and hold my own energetic state and move my body into the energetic states of that which I wanted to create in my relationship or before a difficult conversation or whatever. It's like the world just and everyone else just rose to meet me. And that's what led to quantum love. Interesting. So the most stuff that I've heard about quantum is where I watched Joe Dispenza uh-huh. and listen to his book, Superhuman Becoming. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's a great book. He talks about similar stuff. And I actually spoke about him. I'd written this book before he wrote that book, but he was already in energy. And there's lots of metaphysical teachers, meditation teachers, personal empowerment teachers that understand this. We talk about the law of attraction or manifesting or whatever. And someone's, okay, I wrote myself a check for a million dollars and put it on my vision board, but nothing happened, right? But if you aren't spending time in the energy of having already a million dollars. Once you do that, and if you were to spend, and and there's, and in the book, I explain this in much greater detail, but each, there's sort of a continuum of emotional states we move around minute to minute, day to day, hour to hour, depending on our personality and our makeup. And anything like shame and guilt is the lowest possible frequency. And will create less of what you want in your life. That's really the world. Everything around us is also vibration, remember. So wherever our vibration is, we will attract people, things, and experiences that match that. So shame and guilt is the lowest. Love and joy and bliss is the highest. And once you get to kind of curiosity and openness to hopefulness, forgiveness, happiness, love, openness, once you're in those states, that's when the yummy stuff starts to happen. And if you can start learning how to move your body and even emotionally, which 
changes your energy of your body into those states, even 51% of the time, your entire life will change, not to mention your relationships. So for me, it's about teaching people how to get clear on what they most want to create in their lives. And it's not so much the tangible. So if we're talking about love and relationships, I want a partner who's going to love me and be faithful to me and be fun and that, or is going to be a certain height or have a certain income or whatever it is that we decide we want, right? It's not about any of that. It's about how do you want to feel in love? In fact, I don't make New Year's resolutions. I make feeling resolutions. So my feeling resolution this year is that I want to feel joy, peace, and connection. Those are my three main places I'm putting my attention. So I am constant, I'm constantly moving my body into the frequency of that and thinking and imagining what, if you can imagine yourself in first person in a scenario. So for love, right? What you're really looking for is I want to feel safe. I want to feel passionate. I want to feel adventurous. I want to feel cherished. I want to feel like I'm at home. I want to feel playful. Everyone's different what you're looking for. And then if you go into your mind, and there's a system that I sort of put together for this, but this is what really changes your frequency. It's not just fantasizing about a scenario where you're going to be feeling, let's say, playful, right? It's imagining in your mind a real or pretend scenario, and it doesn't even have to be with a romantic partner, where you are feeling unbelievably playful and putting yourself, this is really important, putting yourself in that scenario in first person. So you're not watching yourself, you're literally in it. You can look down and see your feet and hands in your imagination. And you try to employ all your senses as if it's happening right here, right now. And then that automatically moves your atoms into the frequency of play. And then you're attracting in your magnet for playful people, things, and experiences. So you would do that several times a day? <laughs> Take that and be like realigning the tune of guitar. So where yes. it seems a little bit out of tune, just, hey, I'm not uh, emitting or I don't have that energy that I wish you. Yes. And you, see that and, and you can practice just by, and I have by do these biofeedback things. So now like for me, I don't have to think before I, I move my, I don't have to come up with that scenario in my mind to move my body into the frequency of love, for instance, or joy. I can literally just move. I know my body knows what it feels like now. So it's a body memory. And, I, and I'm spreading my chest out because that's what it feels like. But I can move myself. So like before I get on with you or before I go into a meeting or before I have a difficult conversation with my husband or anyone else, I automatically, it's just a knee-jerk thing now. I move myself into that base state, right? And if there's something specific I want, then, you know, maybe it's a new opportunity. Maybe it's my partner showing up differently, or I want him to do something that he normally wouldn't be that enthusiastic about doing. I imagine that actually already here and already happening. And I let myself really feel it as if it's here and happening. And then almost always it manifests, but it's not, but you're right. It's not like you do that once, right? It's a practice. And in the beginning, I had post-its all over in the mirror and the car that just said ground because the key to this, and I have exercises and meditations for this on my website and in the book, but is to be in your body because most of us who have been in pain or really stressed or life isn't going how we want, we're not even home in our bodies, right? So if you're not in your body, you don't know how you feel. And to start getting really good at knowing, oh, What does anger feel like in my body? What does sadness feel like in my body? What does joy feel like in my body? What does yes feel like in my body? What does no feel like in my body? And as you get used to that, then the body becomes the cue. So you're attuned, you're grounding because that helps you get in your body. How do I feel right now? Oh, I'm noticing I have some tightness in my stomach. Okay. Yeah, I'm afraid of something. Is there something that's scaring me? Is this real or imagined? And what is it that I'm really wanting right now? Oh, I'm wanting not to feel like a wallflower at this office party. I'm really wanting what energetic state can I move my body into that would welcome talk, comfort talking to my colleagues and people noticing me or whatever it is. And then you move your body into that and you just become a magnet for that. Got it. So I'm thinking 
I'm starting to run into more and more people that talk about the quantum field and so on. Yeah. Uh, I also had a guy called Espen on that talked about quantum living. If someone is sitting in, especially people that are very like science-based or critical, so like this seems like not too nice people talking, yeah. but it's crazy stuff. It's right? woo-woo. Yeah. yeah. Is there any point of trying to convince them or is it just, it's going to meet them when they're ready or is there anything that you think that would be helpful to, to say? Well, I wrote quantum love with my husband in mind because my nickname for him is Senor Root Chakra because he is so pragmatic. He is agnostic, if not an atheist. He only believes in what science has unequivocally proven. And that's totally fine, right? I still have exactly what I want using quantum love. But when I wrote this book, I wrote it because this was sort of my coming out. I'm a big science researcher. Everything has to be proven. I come from academia. And to come out with this book that I knew people were going to be like, what the hell is this? I really, first of all, in order to even be convinced myself, I needed to really understand the science. Like, how the hell is, is this real? And how the hell does it work? Or am I making it up? Right. And I found, and, and I spent four years, I wrote this book in six months, but I spent four years researching it. And the second chapter in the book is all of the scientific foundations for why this works and real research from the original quantum physics experiments of the double slit experiment where you're looking at electrons versus waves and the fact that quantum physicists when they do experiments do them in a vacuum with them far away because what they found early on which is what led to most of these discoveries in about the quantum field is that the scientists unconscious and even conscious expectations of how of the outcome of the experiment what they were imagining was going to happen or hoping would happen impacted how it happened and they discovered that accidentally and then that's what led to everything else but there's been so much really cool research and this has really only been over the past hundred years einstein it was happening toward the end of einstein's career and he was like i don't even know how to wrap my head around this he called it spooky action at a distance. That was his term for it. But it's really something that has been evolving and is still evolving over the past hundred years. So it's really not that that understanding is pretty new in our world history of scientific understanding, but it's real. And if you want the science, it's funny because I, if I were to reprint this book, I would put chapter two at the end because I, so many people tell me, oh, I'm not smart enough to read this book. It's all this research. I'm like, no, that's just chapter two. I was thinking about my husband and convincing him first before he read the book. But you actually, now I would probably put it at the end. But if you want the science, it's all there. Got it. It is fascinating. Uh, Jody Spencer also tries to go in to explain some of the science and how it brainwaves. And I think I've heard about mm -hmm. the Heart Institute or something like that in California. Yes, the, the Heart Math Institute. And they've yeah. been able to measure the electromagnetic field of our hearts. And when you move, and this is a lot about what Joe Dispenza talks about, and it's he's right about this, but a lot of his focus is on creating coherence, energetic coherence between the electromagnetic field of your brain and the electromagnetic field of your heart. And in fact, when you practice these things in quantum love, you are doing that, but you're also tailoring it to that which you want to create, especially in love. It's extremely fascinating. I, I think like energy or what we call quantum physics and so on, like we looked in the next 20 years or 10 years, that together. It's going to explode. Yeah. Yes. And when you think about it, one of my favorite people and authors is, a you should have her on the show, is Anita Morjani. And she wrote a beautiful book called Dying to Be Me about her dying, basically, and coming back and what she learned on the other side. And she writes it so beautifully. I know lots of people have had that experience and written about it, but she's probably my favorite one because of the way she articulates it. And what she, one of her metaphors, which I just love, is that she said, when we're in our bodies, we're limited by our five senses, what we can perceive with our five senses. She said, it's like being in a pitch black warehouse and all you can see is where you shine your flashlight, aka your five senses. That's all you can take in. What I would add to that is that we now know we take in 20 billion bits 
of information into our brains every millisecond, but we only consciously process 2,000 of them. So there's a whole universe happening that we just, until we access those six senses or those of us who can, your average person is not at all aware consciously and can't perceive with these five senses all that is going on, right? And she says, but when you're out of your body and you're not limited by your five senses, which is what happened to her, it was like the lights in the warehouse turned on and you could see not only all the amazing things that are happening beyond our awareness, but you can see the way in which your life was like a thread touching and interweaving with everything and everyone else's in this like gorgeous, huge tapestry. You see your parts in that picture, but we're not capable of that. So that's why it seems so cuckoo to us because, and requires that I love the science piece because that allows for a level of comfort, but then it's about a leap of faith. And once you start practicing it, and I would have never done this if my entire life hadn't fallen apart, I would have, but I did, right? But once you start practicing it, then you get convinced because in the practice, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, right? Once you practice it, you start to see the shifts and the changes that happen in your life. Yep. What you're describing sounds similar to what I hear for a lot of people also that try mushrooms. I haven't tried it myself. Fantastic, funky, or like as well yeah. on Netflix where you're like, and you see and understand that how like the connections between the trees and the mushrooms and how you see them. Yes. Doing, I mean, and I, I actually have a good friend who is a guide for journeys, does therapeutic guides, which I mean, which if you're going to do it with this kind of spiritual or therapeutic purpose, it's really helpful to have a guide, someone who understands it and is a therapist themselves and is really helping to move you through the process. But what I, the way that I was told, which I love this kind of metaphor, but it, it gives you all the benefits of dying without having to die. <laughs> because it gets you out beyond your five senses yeah, and you can really perceive things that in your regular conscious state uh, you can't yeah, or most of us can't that's another area that is also evolving so much figuring out the right so much the right guidance so like it's safe and it's a growth to it and it's not something that's yeah you have to do it with real responsibility but i can tell you i have had some clients that i've worked with in therapy who are just so stuck and i had this one guy who was just he was a pretty extreme narcissist i don't judge narcissists i have had a lot of them in my life i think we're all a little narcissistic <laughs> but he was an extreme narcissist struggling so much in his relationship struggling deeply with grief and guilt around his losing his mother, couldn't handle connecting to any deep emotions. His relationship was, well, I mean, I worked with him for a year and he was an extremely successful in the outside world, but just in so much pain internally and could not and would not like, he made some strides, but he was still struggling so much. And I referred him to this friend of mine who did these journeys. And I've only referred maybe a handful of clients through the years. But when I tell you, it completely transformed him. He got it. He got the truth. He talked to his mother. He understood things on like a visceral level that he'd been trying to really feel and understand, but only could intellectually wrap his head around. And it was, it's so healing, especially for people with PTSD and for people who are struggling with extreme disease, d depression, I mean, they first started this research that has created the renaissance in these things with uh, terminally ill, right? And now they're using it with returning vets who have PTSD and other people who have PTSD. And so the uses are starting to, the therapeutic uses are starting to really broaden, which I think is really exciting. It is. I really look forward to following the research the next couple of years and I really want to get deeper into the whole quantum field. It's like one of those things I've also mm -hmm. to be more heartful, going from being very much in my head and then yeah. that amazing feeling of being in the body. Now our time is running really fast. You want me to take you in? Okay, I was going to say, I'll take you. We, can, we don't have to do it now, but I was going to say I can take you quickly into home frequency, into the quantum love if you want. How long? You want to do it as an extra? That would and you be can put it on your website? That would be fantastic. Can we do yeah. that there in the end? And then it will be fantastic. I really okay. appreciate that. Okay, so go ahead. In 
I always ask about one to three advice if you have to give about living a more happy, healthy, meaningful life. So if you just have to boil three down to three advice for the listeners, what would that be? Oh my gosh. Um, first and foremost, before you can really call in real love and love anyone else, you have to really discover the love for yourself. And if, if there's nothing else you do, working on really loving yourself, not because of who you are and what you do or don't do, but because just simply because you exist and we are like miracles that we're even here, everything that had to happen for us to be here, right? So if you can work on the, if you can focus on self-love, everything else will fall into place. And the second thing I would say is really learn and understand and start paying attention and thinking about how everything is frequency and nothing is as it seems. And if you can start tapping into that and playing with that, I promise your entire life will change for the better. And the third thing I would say is to, if you want your sex life and your romantic life to be that which you desire, obviously some of these more quantum things are really important but also what's in the logistical field, as I call it, not just the quantum field, the things we were talking about in the first half of this, right? That you have to create, you have to invest. If you talk to any couple who's been together for 70 years, the first thing they say before they give their advice on how they made it work is that it takes work and there are ups and downs, right? Those two things are true for any long-term healthy relationship. And so you must prioritize and invest in your connection sexually and emotionally. That is definitely something that is implementable. And I'm sure all the listeners can appreciate that as well. Laura, where can people find out more about you? And I'll make sure to put everything in the show notes as well. Yeah, you can follow me on social media. I'm always making videos and posting tips and tools. That's on all platforms at Dr. Laura Berman. And if you go to my website, drlauraberman.com, you can find, and you go to the quantum love page, there are all sorts of meditations on there for a lot of the stuff we've been talking about and information and quizzes and tools. And you can listen to my podcast, The Language of Love. A new episode comes out every week. So if you subscribe, it'll just pop in. Highly recommended. So thank you. Laura, thank you so much for finding the time. I really appreciate it. I'm sure this is one of my favorite episodes. I love to talk about relationships and get deeper into that. And I think for me, learning more about the quantum field is part of my next journey. Um, and being from the research side, I like to see like double blinded studies and mm-hmm. things that we can measure. But I also know there's something that we can measure and learning about that this, just like we thought that like, the brain wasn't able to change that when we become adults. Now we know meditation can change. So I'm super yes. curious to figure out what is that next thing that we think we know, but that we don't? And I think quantum field is, is one of those areas. Yes, absolutely. It's a whole new universe to explore. And we could do the, the meditation. Yeah. Okay. So here, I'll just say what this is for. So I'm going to, I'm going to walk you through a really simple way to experience what it feels like to be in what I call home frequency or like that quantum love zone where more of what you want to create is match is going to match your frequency, right? It's going to come to you because the only thing we can perceive is what we're vibrating in harmony with. So close your eyes. I'm going to take you through it. Close your eyes. And if you can put your feet on the ground, And we're going to ground first so we're not like ungrounded electrical cords and we can really work with it. So the way that I like to ground is as you take a deep breath in, you imagine light of any color that comes to you. As you breathe in, it comes in through the top of your head like a beam of light. And as you continue to breathe in, it flows through every cell of your body. And as you breathe out rather forcefully, imagine the light flowing out your tailbone and going deep, 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 deep into the earth like roots of a tree, okay? So you're going to breathe in the light through the top of your head. It's flowing through every cell. And then deep, deep, deep. And I like to imagine like roots of a tree. You know how in a tree, the roots are twice the width of the branch. And so depending on how wide your reach is going to be, or you imagine those roots Double that, like really grounded. And as you, oh shit, I spilled my water. Sorry. And as you do that, 
you'll feel a kind of settling. So just take one more breath like that. And this is a great way to just get back into your body. Okay, now from this grounded place, really simple. I just want you to think of a time in your life, real or just made up in your mind, where you felt pure, unadulterated, unequivocal, all is right in the world love, where like maybe you kissed your beloved for the first time or you climbed that mountain or you accomplished that amazing goal or you held that baby and whatever it was. And it just go with the first thing. There's no wrong image. Okay. Now here's the key. I want you to go into that scene as if it's happening right here, right now. In first person. So imagine employing all of your senses. What would it feel like, look like, smell like, sound like? And you are in it. You're not watching yourself in it. So just be in that scene because the brain and the body don't know the difference between reality and rehearsal. So as you do this, you are actually moving your body into the frequency of that. So just spend, you can spend 30 seconds there if you want, but just, or 10 seconds, but just notice what it feels like in your body. Because what I'll often, what I find and what many people find is there's sort of a bubbling and a spreading in the chest, a softening of the shoulders, a softening of the belly, a settling of the booty on the chair. You feel that? Okay. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going to show you one more thing because this is how you start to train your body. It's what I call the biofeedback system. Okay. So you feel what this feels like in your body, right? Now I want you to go in your mind's eye to something that stresses you out or something you're not feeling great about or something you're embarrassed about or ashamed of or scared about or worried about and go there in your mind. We won't spend a lot of time here. <laughs> this is a comfortable place for a lot of us, but we won't spend a lot of time here. But do you notice the changes in your chest and your shoulders and your belly? Closing in. Yes, it closes <clears throat> it. You can feel the difference, right? Okay, now go back to that original scene in first person as if it's happening right here, right now. And sometimes people have to imagine erasing a screen if they're really, if that thing they're stressed about is really sticky, right? Make the screen blank and then go back into the prior state of joy and love and all is right in the world scene as if that's happening right here, right now. And tell me what happens in your body. Slowly opening up, but it's still stuck. Yeah. So stay there for a minute and just really relish that scene. I mean, I have people call in love into their lives this way, just imagining imaginary scenes, even people who have never been in love before, real love, right? They imagine what it would be like if I felt X, Y, or Z and I was in that scene and you're magnetizing more as you are here. So this is really good that you're noticing it's slowly opening because what you want to do is stay there until you feel open again. Tell me if you feel it spreading back out. Slowly, but I'm more in the head now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And instead of feeling it. Okay, so ground again. That means you're, so let's do a few more grounding breaths. Light in through the top of your head. Don't think about anything but the light. And tell me what color it is, because it's going to be different every time. Whitish. Okay, good. So white light. Beautiful. That's very healing. So imagine that washing through your brain and loosening everything up and washing through your cells as you breathe in. And just take three breaths like that and then out your tailbone, rerooting. This is really good because this is what happens to most of us, especially in the beginning, is that we go to those habits, right, of the scary thoughts. That's much easier for you to hold 
and for most of us to hold. But this is very natural to all of us. We are born this way. It just gets conditioned out of us. So this state of quantum love is a very natural state for your body to find again. Now it's in the chest again, opening up. Yeah. It get, it, you, once you grounded, you could get back there. I see the smile on your face. So I'm assuming you're back there. <laughs> and now it's the expansion of the chest again. Yes. So you can feel the difference, right? Now you can imagine. And when you're ready, let's keep you there. Just gently open your eyes. But you can see the difference. And once you start practicing, in the beginning, I was doing that all the time just to train my eyes. Just, oh, what does this feel like? 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 And, and then that's how you sort of train the body memory. And you also gain the mastery. So when you're in a crappy situation or you're really stressed out, that's why it's so important to constantly ground. At, for, at first, you will be grounding to get unstressed so you can move into home frequency. But then you'll walk around in the world grounded and you won't have to adjust all the time. I mean, sometimes, obviously, we're human and we're going to get triggered and we're going to get freaked out about things. But if you can stay grounded and keep moving to that home frequency, and I talk a lot in the book about how to get unstuck cognitively and energetically when we're in those places of fearing and wanting to manage and control things, that's all ego frequency the lower frequencies it's going to create less of what we want but it's amazing that's how you do it pretty simple right yeah the feeling right now is like the opening expansion of the body and groundness and almost like uh, when some part of your body is asleep like yes it's tingling in the chest yes it's like a tingling and, an, and a bubbling it feels like bubbles to me like yeah. little um, sparkling water in there yeah really beautiful you did good Thank you. Thank you, Laura. It's, uh, it's interesting and striking that like how we can feel so good in so little time with this breath work or doing this and we do it so little. Like yeah, I do it mostly really with kite surfing, surfing and yin yoga is where I get more of this feeling. But, we, but that's a great resource because you do have a touch point. Mm. So if you're like really triggered, just be out on the kite surfer. Yeah. In your mind, so not you don't have to go out and do it even because no. your body's going to, I mean, this is some of the research I talk about in the book, people learning to play piano just by moving their fingers or imagining moving their finger versus actually moving their finger to strengthen it. Yeah. And both are equally strengthened. The person who literally moved their finger and the person who imagined moving their finger or that research that probably Joe Dispenza I know has shared about the group of elderly people who were really decrepit and had heart conditions and they brought them to a place in the woods where they set it up like it was the 1950s everything the decor the music everything and by and, and they everything was like they were living in the past when they were young and by the end of this term, I don't know if it was a week or a month, but it wasn't a lot of time. They were playing touch football in the yard, these guys, because being in the frequency of that aliveness and energy and all of that just intellectually and energetically shifted things physically for them. Yeah. Laura, do you have one meditation from your website that you recommend to get more into the body like what we just did? Yeah, I have a grounding meditation and an open heart meditation. I divided them because not you don't always want to, you just want to ground, ground, ground throughout the day. You don't necessarily uh, want to or need to be constantly opening your heart, but you can put them both together. So yeah, there are lots of, there are lots of meditations on there, including, I, I did two combined with you just now that are yeah. both on the website. Which one would you do for the morning meditation? I, well, I'm grounding all day. So like I said, I really, it worked really well to just put those little post-it notes or even an alarm, a little ding on your phone. Like they have those mindfulness reminders, like just a little ding to remind you ground. It just takes three breaths, ground. No one even needs to know you're doing it. And then in the morning, get, think about, I like to think about, okay, today, how do I want to feel? Is there something specific that I want to feel today? And it may start with what I want to create or accomplish today. But then if I were to create or accomplish that which I want to achieve, 
how will I feel? And get, and, and it has to be a feeling, right? Like how does pride feel, proudness, or how does joy feel, or how does, and then you go there in your mind's eye as if it were happening. It's already happened, even though you haven't done it yet. And you see the final click on your computer and it's done, or you see the crowd cheering or whatever it is you imagine is happening today. And you move yourself into the energy of that which you desire. It literally, you can do it. It feels really yummy to stay there. I mean, you could have stayed there for hours, right? But even if you just do five to 10 minutes in the morning, it sets the foundation for the whole day. Lauren, thank you so much. I could talk with you for hours. I will see if I can attend one of your events one day and yeah. I'll go find those, those meditations as well. I'll come out to you and do an event. That would be really fun. That would be amazing. <laughs> I'm ready to travel with all these shutdowns. <laughs> we will we'll stay in touch for sure. Thank you so much for, uh, for your time. Here. Let me know if there's anything I can help you with or anything else. Always feel free to reach out. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Same to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.